This week on Trek Mary Kill. Janeway, Maquis, Banjo. Next. It began as a routine mission. There appears to be a massive displacement wave moving toward us. And it would change their destiny. Captain, there's something out there. Brace for impact. One crew and one ship's epic journey 70,000 light years away. We're on the other side of the galaxy. Now it's a quest to get back home. Why are you holding us here? See it from the beginning. We have no way back unless you send us. On the premiere of Star Trek Voyager. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, where we watch and judge episodes of Star Trek. This week, we're looking at Star Trek Voyager's two-hour premiere, Caretaker, which was the very first show to air on UPN, the United Paramount Network, RIP. RIP. <laughs> air date, January 16th, 1995. Teleplay by Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor. Story by Rick Berman and Michael Piller and Jerry Taylor. Directed by Winrick Colby. Maybe it's Winrick Kolb? Anyway, he directed the series finale, most famously, of The Next Generation, All Good Things. Um, so after about 20 years, Paramount finally is able to launch a TV network with Star Trek as their flagship series. The sixth broadcast network, Kristen. UPN, yeah. do you remember this? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> of course. You know, Paramount was trying to get Star Trek Phase 2 to launch their Paramount network back in the 70s. That didn't happen. Next Generation was sort of bandied about as maybe being another entry into the market as a network. Didn't happen. And then UPN. <laughs> yeah. At, at the same, Launch at the same time as the WB. Mm -hmm. uh, kids, you may not know this, but the... The CW is actually kind of emerging. It, yeah, it's the child it of is UPN. emerging. Yeah, yeah, UPN and the WB, uh, and this is and so Star Trek Voyager's premiere was the UPN launch. Episode other shows that aired that launched with the uh, Voyager was stuff like Platypus Man. <laughs> Isn't wait is UPN the one that had didn't like Brandy have her own show? Yes, uh, okay. Moesha. Moesha was on. Uh, yes, was Moesha. On, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I blanked on the name of that show. <laughs> no problem. Nowhere Man, I think, was on that network too, which had a cool like trailer music, which was kind of interesting. And then also Michael Piller, who uh, we talked about recently when we did our Deep Space Nine episode, sort of an unheralded. You know, he passed away, so you know he hasn't continued to get credit throughout the years and you know do self promotion. But he's mainly responsible for Next Generation being such a big hit. He helped launch Deep Space Nine successfully. And when he got Voyager off the ground and it did well, they were like, do another show. So he did a show with Richard Dean Anderson called Legend. And mm -hmm. the co-star of that show was John Delancey. Oh. And I'm sure no one remembers that show outside of basically me no. and other nerdy Star Trek fans. So... You're a normal yeah. Star Trek fan. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so any memory, fond memories of UPN or the WB? Um, yeah, well, they had a lot of programming that was kind of geared towards my age range. So um, while I don't think I was like an appointment viewer of any of the programming, I think that there was a lot of programming for people like me. Dawson's Creek was on the WB. Yeah. My recollection is that they both sort of launched with something big. 
that had some sort of a pedigree in this, in UPN's case, it was Star Trek and then CW. I can't remember what it was. And then everything else was like rejected stuff from other development seasons. Yeah. Or like also, the third round. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, creators who had had hits, but sort of a, a generation previous sort of being carted out, dusting off ideas or just uh, the CW most famous or uh, the WB most famously had sort of like a married with children ripoff from the married with children people. They just reinvented married with children. It wasn't top of the heap, which was a legitimate spinoff of married with children. I cannot remember the name of it right now, but it had a puppet. Like he talked when he'd fight with his wife, he'd like go downstairs and talk to a, a, a puppet voiced, I believe by Bobcat Goldwaite. And I can't for the life of me think of the name of the show. Oh, well. Um, so Dawson's Creek did come out in January, 1998. 98. So three years later. So it was okay. not there. Yeah, it was okay. way later. <laughs> so I can't tell you. I was all charmed was on it. Uh, charmed. But not, not also not until 1998. So someone is listening right now going, they know exactly what show it was. <laughs> And we're not saying it, and I apologize, but no, I'm gonna but have I, to look it up now. <laughs> but UPN tried to be hip, and then the WB tried to just be like show business. Remember, Michigan J Frog was their mascot. They yes, literally had of an course. animated. <laughs> they literally had an an their animated Michigan J Frog from the Looney Tunes do interstitials, uh, like bumpers, in like during commercial breaks, and it would also be to like here's the show. That's about to come on. So he'd be like introducing the show. So uh, apparently the WB launched mostly with sitcoms and also Pinky and the Brain. They, they <laughs> primetime Pinky and the Brain. Okay. I think they I did. This. They did. And um, they had the primetime soap opera Savannah, which you know what? I missed that one. Does not have its own Wikipedia page. Ringing a bell. Um, though. <laughs> Ringing a bell. Okay. So that's the context for it. And Star Trek by this point, I mean, this is 1995 next generation launched in 87. So we're now eight years into this basically next generation era. Deep Space Nine had launched two years earlier. Deep Space Nine had basically been considered a flop by the studio. So they really wanted a new direction for (laughs) the very, a very successful flop by today's standards. (laughs) Absolutely. I have no recollection of this particular episode. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. That's I would I would think I would remember like the farm scenes at the very least because it's kind of out of place for a Star Trek show. First woman captain. We we didn't mention this <laughs> Deep Space Nine one, the first black captain. Like we never specifically say that, <laughs> which I think is just because yeah, we're, but at that point there's only left... been three, two captains really. Yeah, but I mean like the 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 thing the hook, I guess, of why Cisco was important, quote unquote, to start with Star Trek's first black captain. He wasn't even a, the captain to start the show. But we didn't even get into that because I think all of us just like Cisco. He's maybe our favorite captain. So we just jumped yeah. right to that. Um, and then but with Janeway, that was the big selling point, like the first woman captain mm-hmm. and then the first show on UPN. And I so I remember all that. I think I remember not having... Maybe it's just being a uh, a kid and having girls yuck, but I don't remember. I remember like, oh, it's coming out, and it, because it's Star Trek, just the brand awareness, being like, 
cool, a new Star Trek show. That's great. And having no other emotions or attachment to that. Also, this is definitely by the time where I'm now a teenager. So I had other things on my mind in addition to Star mm-hmm. Trek. So it gets a little wonky. I do remember watching it. I do remember watching the pilot a lot, uh, rewatching it, taping it, rewatching it. Uh, the one thing that I remember is that the vi- visual effects were great. Mm-hmm. Like essentially the best version of Star Trek that that could be at, up to that point. Um, yeah, but I, I, beyond that, like the launch of a new network, that was not something that happened all the time. I mean, people now are just used to streamers. You know, Yahoo had freaking their own programming for a while. So like yeah. new platforms launching, <laughs> pretty common, but a new network. I think that was part of the excitement. And to me- but you could get a, over the air. Like yes, over the air. Back in the olden right days, yeah. <laughs> you, did, you could just turn on your TV if you had like a little antenna and you can get the local channels and you didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, and then this is you me can not- actually still do this. Um, yes. You need you can. a yeah, you do need a little bit fa- more fancy equipment, but you actually do not need to pay for it if you have a regular TV. Well, that like fancy equipment TV, just being rabbit not ears. like your computer, but yeah, you can but actually just- do this. Although it depends, like you may not get a very good signal depending on where you are. Right, but when you do get a good signal, because it's just over the air, it's like not compressed at all. So you're actually getting, in some cases, well, now it's different with 4K TVs. Nothing's broadcasting in 4K, so it doesn't matter. But at the peak of 1080, you know, you could get the best version, better than cable, if you could get a clear antenna signal. Yeah, I will tell you that um, I know for a fact that ABC still only broadcasts in 720. Oh, yeah. I mean, sports are still, you can tell in a lot of cases, are 1080i. You know, so like, yeah, there's still a lot of down conversion. Uh, that that's the um, old people talk corner, everyone. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do remember um, it was cool to, cool that there was a female captain. I remember like taking note of that. What I did write down is that I didn't remember that the opening credits being that boring. Oh, this is hot take. I, Maybe we need to have like a section for. Give us your hot take on this episode. I find like, like the like titles. The, the, yeah, I don't know why. I don't like when I was watching it this time, like I maybe I was impressed by this when I was younger, but now it seems kind of boring. But that just might be. I don't know. I it, I was very bored <laughs> and, it, and it looked it looked cheap too, like compared oh. to everything else that we see these State days. Of the art at the time, beautiful. I, yes, at the time, credits. of course. Generally considered to be the most like if for nothing no, nothing else about that show, people have even people who hate the show say, "Oh, but the opening credits, the title sequence, the music's beautiful. It's great." And here comes yeah. Kristen going, "No." That's not I, it. <laughs> like, I just think that because it's has it's in standard def now, like it hasn't been remastered or anything. It looks like bad compared to even like the redone stuff for like the original series and stuff. Like, it's just kind of, I don't know. It, it was, I think I was probably impressed by it at the time. Cause I remember being impressed by the deep space nine opening when I was a kid. So I feel like obviously I would have been impressed by this, but I, as, uh, on this viewing, I was bored. That speaks to sort of a, your general thoughts on Voyager. Maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth. For me, though, <laughs> yes, this show is very stuck in the '90s, and yeah. it's sort of very much stuck in. 
the peak of that next generation era. And it, it remixed. This is a, I'm not, this is not an original thought, but you know, Voyager is effectively a remix of next generation. Nine. Mm-hmm. It's taking story concepts, ideas, proper nouns, <laughs> you know, alien races, and just kind of mixing it up and jumbling it up and then laying it out there and saying Star Trek. And mm-hmm. well, it's like, at- we got a Vulcan, we got a half Klingon, we got, you know. <laughs> That's right. Instead of a half Vulcan, half human, half Klingon, half human. <laughs> yeah. We got a lady captain. That's like the only real. Right. And it's not thing. an out. It's not an outside in character. That's the half, the half and half. It's our hologram. Mm-hmm. Who's our data. You know, it's yeah. kind of these things. Um, and at the time, this is my now general recollection of the show. At the time, it it felt stale. I, and I'm saying that as someone who's like got into Star Trek with the next generation, you know, diligently rewatched these episodes, was a huge fan. Deep Space Nine, you know, got, you know, watched all those. And that by the time Voyager came around, it just was like it only really stuck out as more new Star Trek. Now, Star Trek was on twice a week, mm-hmm. you know, and you could kind of bounce back and forth. Maybe there was a good Voyager, but a bad Deep Space Nine or vice versa. And that was sort of the only real thing to me that kept me watching it. But, you know, even as time has gone on, it's not like it's grown in fondness. But this it's important to remember that this was the number one Star Trek show on Netflix before the licensing yeah. deal expired. And it, like so this is the one that people connect with. I, I want to make it very clear right up front, whatever teenage Brian thought about oh, girls, whatever, <laughs> a girl captain, whatever. Not the case. You know, uh, Janeway was not my problem watching the show. No, uh, no. Kate Mulgrew is not my problem watching the show. <laughs> so, mm. um, and, and I didn't know Kate Mulgrew. I didn't know Mrs. Columbo, all that stuff and all that. But I, I'm going to give you the floor. Was here she in a Mrs. Columbo? She was Mrs. Columbo. That was that was sort of like oh. one of her big TV roles, I think, before that. But again, like we don't know Kate. Like Kate Mulgrew is not of our TV watching generation. You know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. 70s, 80s turn. I feel like we're more like 80s, 90s turn. I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> like the, the TV, sorry. I the lost TV, the, sorry, the The pop culture TV ephemera is sort of like the 70s, 80s was, you know, we weren't born yet. So like for uh-huh. us, it's like the 80s into the 90s. That's where we're. So you're saying like. She was like the 70s, Like we 80s. would not have been like, oh my goodness, look at that. It's Mrs. Columbo. Exactly. Also, same with Avery Brooks. Like we didn't watch yeah. Spencer for Hire or A Man Called well, Hawk. I think that was- other than like LeVar Burton, I feel like almost all of care, everyone who was on any Star Trek show for the most part is like kind of not super well known to the audience or no, to I'm- me, to me anyway, specifically. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It, the weird part is, you know, Next Generation, you mentioned LeVar Burton. You know, Jonathan Frakes have been in, I think, a Civil War, North and South miniseries. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Th- Will Wheaton. One. Will Wheaton was, like, the most famous cast member, actually, outside of LeVar, LeVar Burton, because he was in Stand By Me. Oh. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. The kid, I'm I don't just know. saying, I'm just saying. And then Deep Space Nine had basically Avery Brooks, but like Nana Visitor, I think she had done soap operas. Renee Bourgeois had been, I think he was in a, a Brian De, De Palma movie and he had been around. 
I, I mean, Armin Shimmerman, those are yeah, I was like, watching a lot of Brian De Palma movies when I was sure, nine. Sure, exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's interesting to look at those, look at the cast and then stack them up and go, okay, so you've got Next Generation and then you've got Deep Space Nine. Next Generation sort of was like a happy accident of uh, talent. Deep mm-hmm. Space Nine had some, like, really actual veteran, like, people had been doing putting in the work doing the reps. And I don't know yeah. what, I don't know what happened with Voyager. Yeah, you know, it's there's so many forgettable people on this show. Yeah. For a second, I was like, oh my gosh, the guy who plays Tom Paris looks so much like Jorah Mormont from Game of Thrones. And I'm like, but it can't possibly be him, and it isn't. No. But I was like, nah, he couldn't have been doing this <laughs> before. No. no, we would have known, we would have heard about it. At some yeah, point. like I would have heard about this. <laughs> Uh, so we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of a tweet I made, which mm-hmm. was kind of strongly when I saw the news that Voyager was the most you know popular Star Trek show on Netflix. Was sort of like I think there are only twenty good episodes of Voyager out of one hundred and seventy-three or one hundred seventy-six. And of course, you got to take it upon yourself. <laughs> to, I'm going to label them that. all. Yes. So now I'm doing a show based on on that general concept, but caretaker at that time that i wrote this that was on my list of obvious season one episodes of being good yeah spoiler i clicked through to see what you said about it um <laughs> wow and and i and now rewatching it it it's weird how all the things that bothered me about the show after seven years or through seven seasons exist here and for whatever reason i think the fondness of caretaker that i had or what i had for caretaker was simply born of the fact like well, it wasn't bad. And, you know, yeah. it's setting up a show that seems interesting. Yeah. And, and yet the same sort of um, inert, not inertia, the same, there's an inert quality to it. There's kind of, um, this is me talking now specifically about the episode. Was there anything about Voyager that you wanted to get in here at the last second? <laughs> in general, um, I find it inoffensive. I think that, when I I talked about this, I don't know which episode, I forget now, that at one point, maybe it was our introduction episode where I said, like, I just kind of put on an v- episode of Voyager not that long ago. And, you know, it's it's inoffensive for the most part. There are things about it that bother me. One of them is the crew's instant and undying loyalty, blind loyalty to Captain Janeway. Now, does she deserve it? Probably. But it's like immediate. And it's undying, unquestioning loyalty. Yeah, and it's a lot after of... watching this episode, I'm like, Jesus, why? But yeah, in general, like I'll say it's not my favorite, but it's not like offensive in any way. Like if you, ha- it's kind of like a daytime television thing where like I can have it on in the background and I'll be perfectly content if I'm also doing that's... something else. Yeah, I think I'm at that point with it now too. There's a time where I'm just like, I'm not gonna bother to. It's still that. Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, why we're doing the show. That's why we're doing this at all. Yes, and I think to me, at the end of the day, I'm just sort of like, ah, oh, it's a little disappointing that this is some people's not favorite. I, I don't, I don't mind that it's someone's favorite, but just knowing that like this could just be someone's entry in the Star Trek. It, it's. Mm. It, I'm gonna give a really snooty elitist way of doing it. It's probably. It's kind of like watching The Simpsons and seeing all the Citizen Kane references and then going back and watch Citizen Kane for the first time. <laughs> no, I don't think it's that. Only because there's the I think chance- C- Citizen Kane is like 
number one, it's like way overhyped, and also uh, all funny. the cliches. All the cliches started with like Casablanca and Citizen Kane. Like if you go back and watch those after like saying living like forty years on Earth and seeing all the pop cultural references to them and like all the cliches that came from those films, and then you went back and watched it, you'd be like, "That's cl- this is a cliche film. I don't like it." That's what I'm saying. No, I don't think so. I thought you're saying that like if you're. I'm saying it's a bit of a bummer that this is some people's first exposure to Star Trek so that if it did compel them to go and look back. Well, I think back... specifically for Citizen Kane. <laughs> okay, let's do it for Casablanca. Casablanca is, uh, in my opinion, objectively a good film. I, I has, agree like, with you. it's a great screenplay. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, let's film. use that. So yeah, if you Casablanca is a great had movie, no idea yes. <laughs> about that movie and like had seen like all these jokes about it your whole life and went back and saw it, you'd be like, oh, this is not good. So yeah, okay. I agree with you there. Maybe just not on the specific uh, example. Example I used. Well, well, I guess yeah. what I'm saying is, even in the Citizen King case, even in the Casablanca case, I think I'm pretty sure that I was more exposed, like I was first exposed to all the jokes and cliches born from those pictures, so that when I went back and watched them, it did influence it. But for me, both of them are great in different ways, mm-hmm. and um, it, it the movies were good enough to help me rise above it. You know what I mean? Or like to elevate yeah. it beyond that stuff. What I'm saying is like, ah, I know that's not the case for everybody. And it's not because I'm like better at watching stuff. You just know, you just know that it's going to influence it in any way. Anyway, I'm only saying that because there is this tiredness now rewatching it that I felt. And I kind of, it made me think of it in terms of like, um, it's a starting pitcher going, you know, third time through the order. This is a baseball thing. But, you know, the more pitches he throws, the ty- more tired he gets, right? He's more yeah. prone to making mistakes. The The hitters have seen him a little bit more. He could still get through the game, probably, but he's just not going to mm-hmm. look as sharp. It's not. He's just tired. And Michael Piller basically writing his second pilot. But also, important to remember, so he's done the third season of Next Gen, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Five seasons there. He's done one, two, three of deep space nine. So he's done eight seasons of television heading into Voyager doing, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so he's written a lot of star Trek, you know, he's not writing every episode, but he's the showrunner. So he's going through all these, you know, discarding stories, you know, directions they don't go. And so it just does feel like a lot of stuff that, Oh, you've already done this before and you forgot, or you've already done this yeah. before, but you're reusing it because you think it And like literally the Tom Paris character was a character they did before, but they didn't want to pay the extra like 600 bucks an episode it would cost to give the, to pay the writer who came up with the character. Do you remember the next no. generation the first duty? I don't so, think so. Okay. So the first duty sticks out in my mind because well, I don't remember when, any episode numbers is the problem or, or any episode names. So like, if you told me what happened, I'd probably have seen it. I'm about to it's, but I wanted to set up like, it's the episode where Wesley Crusher's at the Academy and there's an accident with his pilot friends and mm-hmm. someone dies and he has to learn how to tell the truth. <laughs> And uh, Tom Paris or the Robert Duncan, Duncan McNeil, the actor, is playing this guy, Nick Lacarno, and he's like the swaggery, you know, leader of the group. But he's also bullying them into lying to protect the secret that they accidentally got one of their teammates killed. And then Picard has to, like, lecture Wesley Crusher to tell the truth and all that stuff. So that character, Nick Lacarno, the way that Robert Duncan McNeil, the actor, portrayed him, stuck with the producer's. And they, when they had time to 
who we're going to put on the show. It was a little bit like Vo- uh, Deep Space Nine. Oh, we'll put Ensign Rowe on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But in and this case, no. yeah, but then Michelle Forbes is just so cool. She's like, I'm not doing that. And in that, in that case, it worked out. In this case, they were just like, well, we don't want to pay the guy who wrote that episode. Um, like th- literally, this is what Rick Berman said. We just don't want to pay the character fee to somebody to do this. He's a producer. So he's like, I'll save 600 bucks an episode what 600 times 26 yeah that's basically whatever that was 600 times 26 i'm really bad at math folks but that's how much they were saving per season by not calling tom paris nick lacarno which is what that was supposed to be but anyway but that's what i'm saying it's like literally they were just taking their own ideas and just recycling them and i think the show really suffers for it in general but in this episode specifically it it shows how kind of half thought out everything is because None of the characters' choices really drive the story. It's not really about any of them. The The planet stuff sucks. The Ocampa stuff. Yeah. Like, it just sucks. Like, I'm not... It doesn't tell us anything about Harry Kim and, and Bolana Torres. Yeah, like, I want to like those people, but, like, give me a reason. Yeah, this is the In the first that... episode, I mean, like, yeah. you know. I think, do you think it's also possibly possible that because we've been watching for every episode so far, we've been watching two hour episodes? Do you think like that is coloring? (laughs) Do you think that like, I think it was so hard for me to get through this episode because it is so long. And I feel like that is definitely coloring my feelings about it. No, Like I'll be so happy when we're done with all the two hour pilots. (laughs) So happy. Uh I well to me it felt long, but maybe you still felt the same way about Deep Space Nine because for no, me No, okay. So like when we did encounter at Farpoint, which I think will come out before this episode comes out. Yep. I had to watch in two separate two separate um sittings because I couldn't take it. <laughs> and then the Deep Space Nine, I was we were wa- I was watching it and I'm like, oh god, I bet like I was enjoying it, but I was like, oh boy, I bet this is I bet I have like 45 minutes left and I paused it and actually I had like 10 minutes left and I was like oh look at that that just breezed right through mm-hmm. and but this episode I paused it at one point like when they're doing kind of the heist thing at the end um like rescuing their people at the end sorry spoilers um <laughs> we haven't gotten into that yet but you haven't even done the synopsis yeah yeah i, I sorry we're ha- <laughs> we're half an hour in let's just get right to it <laughs> so and then i pause it I'm like oh well, i can't possibly have more than like 10 15 minutes left i paused and i had still half an hour left i'm like jesus christ what could they possibly have to do after this this is the end like what else comes after this like and um a lot unfortunately yeah okay that yeah, let's dive right in <laughs> okay <laughs> the uss voyager is on a mission to find this missing maquis ship which has the chief of security of the voyager on board it was lost in this area called the badlands with these plasma storms voyager goes and investigates uh, uh but first they have to pick up a, a prisoner tom paris because he knows the area well and so they go and then they get swept up in this weird energy field that's been basically camping out and picking off ships in the Badlands, I guess, and mm-hmm. uh, brings it flings them across across the uh, galaxy. Basically, they're 70,000 light years away and they're in the Delta Quadrant. When they mm-hmm. arrive, they're kidnapped and experimented on. 
because this alien being called the caretaker is looking for basically a way to reproduce to continue its its uh, self-imposed mission of caring for this race of people called the Okampa because thousands of years Whose ago planet they he destroyed yes, destroyed sorry no it's fine and um i forgot this long- is your time yeah. <laughs> no your please jump in. yeah and then <laughs> i'm doing off the top of my head and then you know voyagers got to figure out what's going on they meet this scavenger named neelix who tries to help them out neelix uses voyager to get his girlfriend back his two-year-old girlfriend back important to point out the <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oklampa only lived nine years that's a that's the wrinkle there and um and anyway, what the she, age of consent is. Yeah, exactly. No, like, like six months. months. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So, <laughs> so the, so Voyager, you know, figures out that uh, this caretaker is dying. That's why it's looking for an offspring and um, realizes the caretaker realizes they're not going to be able to complete their mission. So gives the Okampa enough energy because they've been living underground, being supplied by energy distantly by this caretaker array. And uh, hopefully in five years, you know, the, the Okampa will either figure it out or all die off, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And and Voyager decides, well, we can't let this array, the station, remain because then the bad guys, um, who are also scavengers, the Kazon, will take it and use it to obliterate or enslave the Okampa. So we've got to destroy it, which means stranding ourselves here. And then that sets up the show of we're going to figure out a way to get home somehow 70,000 light years from home. And we're going to ally ourselves with these Maquis people we picked up along the way. Whew, that's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> the, the premise was supposed to be Voyager is basically lost in space and it's not going to be just a star, Starfleet crew. It's going to be this group of uh, freedom fighters named the Maquis. I have to do this before we go into it because Michael Pillar aped his own pilot by doing a, mm-hmm. a crawl. With the uh, with Deep Space Nine, but this one was not interesting at all. So, no, like it's talking about the Maquis. Who are the Maquis? They're they're freedom. Yeah, fighters. why do I care about these people? Yeah, they're freedom fighters who are mad that the Cardassians got their land in a in a settlement, mm-hmm. a, a treaty. The Cardassians and the Federation signed a treaty, and so some people got kind of knocked out of their homes uh, by the Reed bordering, and so they became freedom fighters. And the Fred- Federation calls them traitors, and the Cardassians call them terrorists. And this was mm-hmm. something introduced, I think, in Next Generation, carried over into Deep Space Nine, and they thought it was so interesting that they decided to use it for Voyager. Huge mistake. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares about about these people. Yeah, the show doesn't no. even care. It ditches the whole thing. I mean, the idea that we need to shake it up and have a different part of the crew to have uh, onboard um, conflict, that, that's a mm-hmm. decent instinct, I think. Yeah, but then there's no conflict. There's hardly any. No, Chakotay. We didn't mention any of the characters. Just get you got your uh, Janeway there. You got your Kate Mulgrew. You got your uh, Chakotay, who's Native American. Which um, big story behind that was the Native American consultant they had was a complete con artist and gave the Star Trek writers completely bogus information about Native customs. Oh no! <laughs> and um, you got your oh. Bolan Torres. You've got your Harry Kim, who's on his first mission. Tom Paris, the criminal who's trying to make amends. Um, we get a lot of references to his dad for some reason. Like He's everything, an admiral. We, yeah, we get a lot of information about characters that has nothing to do with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just them stopping what they're doing. To it's talk a about lot of telling, yeah. not showing. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so I don't know if they had been something else, pirates of some kind, maybe that would have been yeah. better, but that that's not what happened here. All right. Great scenes. I, I managed to find some, but I want you to go first. <laughs> okay. Well, in the beginning, Janeway in her full uniform and her, her bun shows up to New Zealand, which is a penal colony. And I'm, I was just happy to see that New Zealand and Australia are still penal colonies in the future. <laughs> the more things change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I put Voyager arrives in the Delta Quadrant. I, I think the it's well paced, directed well, and the whole, they get swept up in the energy beam and flung across the galaxy. And then they are trying to figure out what's going on and sort of the chaos of all that. And then they start getting beamed away. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought the actors' reactions. I thought the act the actors' reactions to the array that we get on screen was so good that it really stinks that the design of the array was so dumb. <laughs> like <laughs> there is nothing really to it that was interesting or haunting or weird. It, but they really sold that we should have thought that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and I just I think I just like the chaos of it all. Because you've watched enough Star Trek, it's kind of like, okay, now this is like really serious. And and usually if it's not the Enterprise, if something like this happens to a non-Enterprise ship, that the ship just explodes and they all die. So mm-hmm. <laughs> here's, here's them like trying to stay alive. I like that. I liked, I guess, the dangerous escapes from the underground layer of the, uh, now I can't remember their names. The, the Ocampa. The, the, the Ocampa. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, my apologies, apologies to all to Ocampa <laughs> and their people. I do like a dangerous escape. Now, did we need one that elaborate? I don't know. You mean with like the staircase and all that stuff? The staircases, the you know, effect. the staircase, the chutes and ladders situation yeah. that we had going on there. I was groaning because it's like, oh, this is just kind of a redo of, of um generations and also also Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure this happens in um second chances it happens in the next generation episode too anyway Mm -hmm. sorry anyway oh also i forgot to mention this pilot took 31 days to shoot and cost 23 million (laughs) dollars oh my god 23 million dollars would be considered a very expensive pilot today yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, well, the special effects, but VFX, but those staircases aren't free. No, <laughs> they had to build all those. That's right. Staircases. That's right. Like, can we get some more caves? <laughs> and can we get some more staircases? I had the introduction of the doctor. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good scene. Half of the yeah. scene. I like uh, Neelix hugs Tuvok and makes Tuvok very uncomfortable. Uh, when he's beamed aboard. Yeah, that's yeah. a good moment. I like the scene in the bathtub. Yeah. Where, where he's doing the weird alien song. And, then and like, like luxuriating in water. water. Yes. I liked the first scene with the Banjo Man, the caretaker. <laughs> where he calls him a minor bipedal species. Yeah. Talks about a death <laughs> that can never be repaid. Because then I was like, now we're getting into some fucking Star Trek. Yes, the gods are, are they hate little people. The last one I had was Janeway and Tuvok's scene after, man, I'm sighing because I'm like, why did she out him? Why did she blow his cover? Yeah, so quickly. (laughs) Like, and then everyone was fine with it. 
And Chakotay was so quick to yeah, stand exactly. Like everyone is like so quick to be like, yeah. "Oh yes, yeah, okay, this is all fine." I was yeah. deceived for months, but I'm <laughs> like, fine with it now. And and our lives are in danger. Yeah, I'm fine. But then the next scene is Tuvok when he's in his uniform. The first scene he's in his uniform, and it's just he and Janeway, and they're talking about the nucleogenic particles and the planet, which is the Ocampus planet. I just thought the acting was really good in that scene, even though Tim Russ, I think is, yeah, is his name. He's doing like a bit. It's like his Vulcan is more of a bit than like a performance, but it's fine. Yeah. But she's doing, she's carrying that scene. She's got the emotional weight of that whole scene. She's talking about Harry Kim's mom having messaged her before they left. If, if he forgot his clarinet or whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was great. I thought it was a nice <laughs> scene between the two of them. Um, so anyway, those are my great scenes. Like, did you know he played the clarinet? Like, how how the fuck would you know? Yeah. <laughs> how would you know that? He doesn't know. Like, right, because it's like... Like, he's... literally, you guys, this is the... You know him for, like, what, 48 hours, maybe. Yeah. I know you're undercover, but here's the crew roster. Yeah. It's over. <laughs> did you have time to look over the fact that he plays the clarinet? Like, how would he know that? All right, best Trek tropes. I already mentioned it. Gods. You know. Yeah. <sighs> I have that one under worst. I actually don't think it works super well in this one. I think like it's too cliche after watching it all from the other pilots, but um, there must be a best one. So I put that um, I just Tuvok reminding everyone he's a Vulcan all the time, like saying the Vulcans <laughs> do not worry. And then of course, Alana Torres reminding everyone she's half Klingon. <laughs> and sometimes I get, sometimes that gets the better of her, which doesn't make any sense. But she says, like, that half of her is what causes, like, these outbursts. I know. I'm saving that for its most of its time quality. I have a okay. thought about that. Uh, I You you didn't like it, but Best Trek Tropes, I think, getting Jerry Goldsmith to do your theme. It was a winner for Star Trek The Motion Picture. I didn't, I didn't, have to, no, I didn't hate the actual music. I just felt it was kind of like them just going by planets and stuff and kind of boring. Oh, the visuals i got it okay yeah again i think the, time, the music is fine the yeah the music yeah. is fine so the theme is is the trope it's not the, is it less is it less of a hot take now that i specify no it's a, no it's still a hot take it's okay okay <laughs> and then for me the best trick trope i don't know you might disagree are the women's wigs because i go it took me back to the original series where women would just have impossible hair sometimes because mm-hmm. of the wig, the wig work, and yeah. and for the first time, I think it was because the 4K TV. I finally noticed G- the wig lines for Kate Mulgrew. I didn't even notice it. It's what like you can see him on her temples very clearly, and it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, and sh- and Kess has really. Why would it? Hair. Why would they bother putting it in a wig that seems like it took would take longer? It's such a simple hairstyle. Does she just not have any hair? I th- well, I think her in later seasons when she does have the thinner hair where it's just kind of like cut on the sides, I think that is her normal. That is her hair, oh. I think. But I think it's a combination of two things. Star Trek, which is known for having kind of ridiculous hair for women. But also, I, if my recollection is correct, Carrie McCluggage, who was like the head of Paramount. I think it was Paramount TV. He was obsessed with hair. Mm. Like, he, like they would they would redo, reshoot stuff like we'll get in with enterprise. They like reshot a bunch. Cause he didn't like Scott Bakula's hair, 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 hair is like a big thing <laughs> well, for him. Wasn't that after that whole thing with, um, no, I think maybe he saw Kate Mulgrew's real hair and he's like, put a wig on her. 
Yeah. <laughs> popping up. But it was funny because I mentioned in she the needs uh, more hair in that <laughs> that Shinyuan. In the Deep Space Nine documentary. Um, Carrie McCluggage is interviewed and and I had never seen him before. So when he popped up and he had like perfect silver fox hair, I'm like, mm. it all makes sense now. <laughs> it all makes sense. The guy obsessed with hair has amazing hair. Like the guy definitely yeah, has yeah. like his barber show up to his office, right? Yes, like at, like yes. every other week. <laughs> or Absolutely. just chain there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, any best other best tropes you want to? No. <laughs> Worst Trek tropes. I'm, I'm doing the first one. Calling okay. out shield percentages. Go to hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that I don't mind it sometimes, but it's not even a good shortcut. It's lazy drama. It's meaningless, empty, lazy drama. Anyway. So I actually have a hair-related one, and Janeway's hair gets kind of messy, like her bun comes a little undone, and that's how you know it's serious. Um, <laughs> yeah, when they get little... slung across the garage. The, yeah. yeah. And then she like fixes it so quickly, though. Mm-hmm. The next scene, it's all perfect. I liked, the wig is all perfectly in place again. Kate Mulgrew is great, though. I love the because she's doing that when she's on the move, right? When she's like walking to engineering, she mm-hmm. fixes her hair real quick. I just like that. That was good. Yeah, but then it's like absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah. Apple, yeah. Um, but I also put God as the worst Trek trope because. Um, Give it to me. Why? Why is it bad here? Because it, it's been done. <laughs> it's we like it's been done in every pilot. That's how you know it's Star Trek, though. I know it's Star Trek because they're flying in spaceships <laughs> and wearing the, the same, most... wearing the uniforms and whatever, all those other things. I don't need the God thing again and again. It's the most interesting part of the episode to me, though, which is probably damning with faint praise because it's it's a half cooked idea. It is. It is. It's it, like I think it just wasn't executed as well. Like I think it was executed better. I think it was certainly executed better um, in the original series when they got to punch God in the mouth. And then um, also, at least in The Next Generation, it introduces Q, who's an actually interesting character who sticks around and comes back later. And I also think it's done better in Deep Space Nine. This is the worst application of it, I think. All of them have points of view. This one does not have a point of view. No. He just sees the Okampa as children. So he's... He's kind of a condescending dick in his own way. And yeah. he's just kidnapping people across the galaxy against their will, trying to force trying his, to bang his, them. Yeah, force his genetic material into them. So he's an asshole, which is consistent with the Ronberry stuff, but uh no point of view. Like he's like the Okampa. He's like, I'm trying to protect the Okampa. But it's like, why? You know what I mean? Like why do you feel guilty? Yeah, like how many of them are there? Like, or like you know, why whatever. is your guilt? what is it about you that you have such guilt and why is this the only solution you came up with? Um, anyway. Okay. Uh, sleep. They're always pushing sleep. Tuvok's mm-hmm. like, you're tired. You should, you should get some rest. Uh, <laughs> tired captain. You know, it's like all the shows it's, it, to me, it always felt like, you know what? I shouldn't say it always as I got older and I just kept hearing it over and over again. It's like, did the writers just run out of an idea? It's like, you can't, you have to avoid conflict. So they have to say something that's innocuous, but is it's kind of like pseudo conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Like you need to do this, but I can't tell you from my character. I just need to tell you from a medical perspective, you should get some sleep. But anyway, it's, it's, it's annoying. It's, it's mm-hmm. Star Trek and sleep. No. Why do you want the audience to think about going to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? And then ADR. This, this one ruined the pilot as much as uh, it did in Deep Space Nine, I thought. 
Mm-hmm. The, the ADR yeah. in this one was pretty bad. Paris hitting on Stadi and flirting with the holographic farm girl. Pretty Yeah, uh, he was um, going to bang that holographic. She was trying to get him away from the barn, and it almost <laughs> worked. And then Lieutenant Stadi just, like, just firing like he's he's taking his dick out there (laughs) and and because it's a four three framing they they do have to keep them in the same picture but he is very close to her he is like in her lap was throughout the entire episode like everyone's so close because yeah yeah they're all like 18 inches apart from each other it's very weird winrick colby he really likes those he likes those big faces in the in the four three Mm -hmm. Um, which is great for TV, but it's weird to watch now. So next is most of its time quality. Um, I put haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. And also there's a reference to global warming. Um, when <laughs> Not relevant now. <laughs> well, cause around that, like it would have been like what, like five years before when they finally like discovered the hole in the ozone layer. And so I feel like that was probably kind of a timely reference at the time. The hair, the hair is always a thing too. Have you heard the term pilot hair? No. I guess, I guess there is a thought with actors anyway that you definitely have different hairstyle in the pilot versus. Them oh yeah, because it's not series. necessarily like. Yeah, it's not the final. None look. of the stu- yeah. yeah, it's not the final look, and it could just be different hair, makeup people. Yeah, uh, and different yeah. wardrobe people even that too. So that that to me that whenever it's like a pilot, it's always interesting to see how the hair changes from one to the next. Um, but this is such a well-oiled machine at this point, the whole Star Trek industrial complex going on on the Paramount lot that there's probably not a lot of different people. Um, so it's just, these were just decisions <laughs> that, that yeah. they stuck with for a while and then changed it. Okay. But I have two. No, it's just one. It's just one. Most of it's time. <laughs> the casual nineties racism. I have three uh, examples of it. Yeah, one, I think I know one. Oh, go ahead. I want what's your the guess? one where Tom Paris is telling makes a comment to Chakotay, "Are you going to make us turn into a bird and fly away or something?" And then he says, "Oh yeah, so isn't that some sort of Indian custom?" And he goes, "Oh, wrong tribe." And then when he's carrying him out, don't you know an Indian trick where you can turn into a bird and fly us out yeah. of here? And he goes, you're too heavy. And so it's like he's brushing off this oh, racism with like these one liners as like, oh, it's OK. That that's definitely it. Uh, and just the whole Tom Paris character is kind of like I don't remember Han Solo being like that absolutely dickish to people. So well, he like, was, but he was at least charming about it. Yeah, he, was he had charming. like a, a yeah. certain charm about it. It never felt like Han Solo like he was, was a going little, out of like his way. Like he was way. kind of a rascal. Yeah, know? he was never going out of his way. And, and Tom, Tom Paris, Paris is just a fucking dick. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. But the this is what you said about Torres. I think the Latin, the fiery Latina character. Mm-hmm. But oh, but yeah. she's part Klingon. But her name is Torres. freaking Solana Torres. <laughs> and and then they don't even <laughs> really double down on. I don't know if it's sexism or if it racism but she's a cling half Klingon, but all she gets from it is the temper not the yeah. s- more strength because she mm-hmm. pounds on that door and she doesn't even put a dent in it so yeah. it's like so she's kind of impotently angry and it's like well that's dumb so. yeah she's just an angry woman yeah and they don't even draw attention to it she's just like yeah i get angry it's just a burden gotta yeah like it. no one even asked her about it she volunteers the information 
And then I kind of think there's a there's weird undertones. It's like a more of a class thing with the way Neelix is like sort of his design. First of all, his design. Hold on. Hold on. This is the design of Neelix, the pattern he wears, mm-hmm. the, his skin. This is a very 90s look. This is like if you went yeah. to a mall in the 90s, the patterns, the cloth patterns on the chair, on the bench seats and stuff like this is what it looks if you want to know what I'm talking about, if you go watch the opening titles to Say by the Bell, look at all the weird, <laughs> art, the weird art that's behind the words. Like yeah. that is 90s. And that's basically Neelix is one of those murals come to life. <laughs> I also put, because this is the 90s and it's a TV show, Neelix is, can we say just universally unattractive? Oh yeah, not as bad as like Cork, but he's right. not an attractive character. He's a, he's a nice guy or whatever, but whatever. But I put that he's super attractive. He has a smoking hot girlfriend, and then that is something that TV in the nineties used to do. You'd have I like mean, a dumpy male character who had like a hot wife. So the original King of Queens is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the older man, younger girlfriend. I mean, that's that's a. Yeah, she's only two. Time. Yeah, she's only two. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so far out of her league, out of his league. All right, it's a very '90s show. That of its yeah. time quality is like, if you watch that show, you know it's set in the '90s. Anyway, all right, come on, Kristen, do it. <laughs> I don't know if I can. I don't think I have it in me. All right, the line must be drawn here. Um, great lines. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't have <laughs> I don't have the gravitas to pull it off. I'm so sorry. Um, Neither do I. It doesn't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> you do it much better than I could ever do it. Um, so I put in the very beginning when they're still at Deep Space Nine, Cork says slurs against my people at Starfleet Academy um, because Kim says that. Oh, I've learned all about the Ferengi at Starfleet Academy when he thinks he's being swindled. And he yeah. is being swindled, but the mock outrage, I loved it. Like it has such that dot to go back to Casablanca, but it has very much the same feel of gambling. I, I'm shocked, shocked to learn there's gambling going on in this establishment. <laughs> um, like the faux outrage of it. Um, and then I also put, <laughs> there's a line um, that Captain Janeway says when she's talking to her partner, I guess, on like a video call. And he's like, oh, I don't want to bother you. And then she's like, you don't bother me, except in the way that I like to be bothered. Wink. Get it, girl. I put that line, too. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the way she delivers it. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, yeah, like, okay, we get it. Hold on. Let me see if I can bring the same level of gravitas. She goes, hey, you never bother me, except the way I love to be bothered. Understand? By the way, she's giving so much more than that guy is. What bad casting. That was like, oh, my oil. gosh. Well, I'm I mean, sorry if it's anyone's dad or someone that I should show well, it was, words. But I'm sure it was woman. like he couldn't. It's not like they were in the same room doing it. No. Like, well, at the same time, why difficult. not? They were, he was probably just giving it to the camera and like some production assistant is reading the other lines off camera. Oh, I just couldn't stand his line reading of like, don't forget to go pick up her bed, the dog's bed. And he goes, I already did. An hour ago. I'm like, no one says it like that. Why did yeah. you say it that way? 
Anyway, uh, Mr. Kim at ease before you sprain something. <laughs> that. Um, that's all I have. I don't have anything oh, else. I have. I liked the doctor asking for a tricorder and being handed the wrong one. He goes, medical tricorder. Just as a mm-hmm. delivery there. Um, the scene that I liked where she's with Tuvok, I like when she's looking out the window and she goes, I never seem to have a chance to get to know any of them. I have to take more time to do that. I think I really like that part of she's giving you sort of another angle of being a captain. And um, it's yeah. not like it's not like the captain has to care about all their crew. But I think maybe in this particular set of circumstances where it's uncertain if they're even if they are going to get home. Right. She's like, well, yeah. now would be a good time if we actually knew each well, other. <laughs> good news. You've designed yeah. it. So you're yeah. going to have all the time in the world. And then we did get a Dr. McCoy throwback of sorts where the doctor goes, that's enough. This is a sick bay, not a conference room. This is after mm, they've yeah. rescued us and they're all talking. And then I just like the line delivery of the way Kate Mulgrew says, the K's on Ogla. Who are the K's on Ogla? <laughs> it's like kind of so goofy, but the line begs the actor to do that. So anyway, those are the ones I had. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I don't have anything. I'm sorry. I put Kate Mulgrew. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anyone else to give it to her, give yeah. it to. So I'm going to say her, but um. I struggled with that one because I was like, I mean, I didn't think anyone was like super, super amazing. No, but I thought she she did a good job. And also yeah. the fact that I think she, for like a recast and a pilot, yeah. she did pretty good. We didn't even mention that really. But Jean, Jean, Jean Vive Bujold was the original Janeway. I don't even think it was Catherine Janeway. It was something else. Megan Janeway. I don't know. So, um, <laughs> Anne. Yeah. Anne Janeway. Uh, and so she basically came in after they'd been shooting for two or three days. So even on that sense, I think it worked pretty well. Um, I have an honorable mention because I, I do every time it happens, I think, Oh, this is pretty good. Is the old woman on the farm? Oh, come mm-hmm. get some tea and some sugar cookies. And then the yeah. way she has to turn. She's like, Oh, we're not ready for you yet. Or sorry, we put you out. I, I thought I liked her performance. Very steady, better than the, um, the caretaker guy. I thought yeah. he was a little not in there. He had the right look, which maybe yeah, he, had the the right card- look. he had the card. That's maybe the cardinal sin of all these Berman Star Trek shows was they cast by look and sort of vibe, but it's like, mm-hmm. well, can the guy deliver? And they're like, doesn't matter. We're shooting so many episodes this season. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, we're moving on. Yep. Um, all right. That moves us on to the Shatner. <laughs> I kind of wanted to put the whole cast, but that's a little unfair. Mm. It's the pilot. So I'm going to put Robert Duncan McNeil as Tom Paris. It's partly the way it's written, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. Is there a, um, a good guy version of mustache twirling? Cause he's doing that. I don't know. No, I don't think there is. He invented <laughs> it then, I guess. Um, I do like the old man the caretaker when he just goes you don't have what i need and calls them minor bipedal species and like brings them to the farm there's all these pitchfork wielding yokels um oh with paris the part that really stood out to me was okay he's being kind of a rogue and all that stuff and and you can get it there's a version of his smarminess being as a deflection right but then mm-hmm. the part where he goes, it's a long story, Harry, and I'm tired of telling it. Like, that's when he's being, like, supposed to be emotionally honest, right? And it still mm-hmm. just came off as phony. It was very phony. Um, but yeah. he was going for it at the same time. So, okay, the Stadi actress. I didn't write it down. 
to the pilot that's taking them to Voyager. And she's like, I can be warm and sensual. And she's like putting up with him. And she's she's kind of being sly and funny and having a sense of humor. And then she goes, and there she is, and like Voyager. And then her tone changes to like, now you've got to sell it to the nerds. Get on top of that car, girl. Because <laughs> yeah. she goes, she's like capable of cruising speed. Like she gets into this very weird announcer voice, yeah. bio neurocircuitry. And it's like, whoa, what happened? So she was really going for it here because they're like, this is, by the way, day player this will sell the series to the nerds so yeah. you really have to make it clear what's going on more feeling please um and then robert beltran is chakotay oh <laughs> i think in the pilot though that chakotay is so dumbly written like yeah when he performed in this episode it was kind of rough all the way through so i also put the kazon guy what's his name oh generic generic yeah. villain due to the week yeah Haben. when he's on when he when yeah. he's on screen at the end and he goes you have made an enemy today and then hangs up on her yeah. and then that's it that's right. it right yeah he's like sitting like, against okay. the wall of his breakfast nook it's like you're not intimidating so yeah no. also the kazon are weird they're supposed they were modeled after like la street gangs or something so they were they the original conception was they're supposed to be yeah the the dreadlocks are a little offensive i would say yeah that's a i think the kazon also are very 90s uh, you know like a a white a white guy having lived through the la riots in la being like hmm let's make them the villains (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's my takeaway from the whole experience so I this is the first time we get kind of uh easy answer here. What part of this are they teaching at Starfleet <laughs> Academy? Well, they're they're fucking racist against the Ferengi. They're teaching yeah, slurs against patriots. the Ferengi. That's what I put. Like we know. I've heard all about you. Like they have like courses on like you can't trust these motherfuckers. Like watch your wallet. But then the other one was uh old Sneezy, uh Professor Zakarian who taught a survival course. So what else are they teaching? I guess is like surviving tough situations in alien planets. Mm -hmm. Like, but also that was weird because Zakarian was, uh, he had a, he was, had a bunch of allergies and also she's a first year cadet. Why is she in a survival class? Why would a first year cadet need to be in a survival class? Cause you're trying to get them through or else they wash out. Ah, it was weird. (laughs) My third, my third thought was like, you should probably, if you have a chance to get your ship home, you should. You should yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what in the fuck, Janeway? What the hell are you doing? So that bumps us right into the what would the predecessor captain show resolve how they resolve the conflict. Now, this is me revealing that I kind of lied at the beginning. What I, I did remember very much watching this episode when it first premiered and remembering very clearly being fine with the show up until the end going like this is dumb because Picard wouldn't have been stranded there. And and this was before I like fell in love with Cisco. So now it's like, and Cisco wouldn't have been there. I don't think there's any situation where in previous shows, if it's the Enterprise instead of Voyager, if it's the Defiant instead of Voyager, they're going to fight the Kazon and they're going to figure it out. And that's it. Yeah. Or Data's going to figure something out. We can take yeah. the computer and put it on the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. It just... because. She well, because like she was like arguing against herself of like, um, oh well, children have to grow up and they'll figure it out, and then like between that and also like, oh, then we'll just blow this place up and strand ourselves 
and not help anybody. Right. That's and like, so is that, is that am I because I put I wasn't quite sure. I was like at the end I said so does she actually destroy the array and strand them there? Am I rem- am I watching this? Am I is that what I've just taken away from this? Like that happened, right? Like I didn't just uh, infer that. Yeah, I also think now I'm really thinking it through and this is now the hindsight of what, 25 years? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, uh, okay, so she orders the destruction of the array mm-hmm. and everyone's fine with that. Although I think Torres says something like, you can't do that, you'll strand us here. Here's here's the counter pitch. Destroy the array and the crew member refuses to do it. And it's the Maquis person who says, I totally understand what this, the conflict is, right? It's the Okampa mm-hmm. and the, it's a, it's a turf war. Like the, what's the Maquis are fighting. And I have a chance to deal a blow to the Kazon. So I'm going to, you know, they could just shove that crew member out of the way who didn't want to fire. And there was definitely that generic crew guy who was on the bridge um, shove them out of the way and, and do it themselves. It's mm-hmm. fulfilling Janeway's order. It's not like diminishing her, but it was just weird. And yeah, it's just, it, it felt like they had to arrive at that point and there was nothing unique that got us to that point. So it's like a little bit like they moved the station <laughs> in the deep space, yeah. pilot, but that was the finale. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was just the, the weirdness to set up the series and it, it didn't work. It fell flat to me. Cause there's so many ways you could strand a ship out in the middle of nowhere yeah, without or... even needing it to be because of any choice anyone on board made. Also, if the Okampa part of the story was better, if the Kazon part of the story was better, you could f- mm-hmm. probably amp up the reason why destroying the station makes the most sense so that it's clear, but it's, it all felt like a rush anyway. That all yeah, that all said, seemed like it was one group of people or withholding water from the other right it's also sort of like so who do well, we root for this one? yeah it's also like okay so there's a resource scarcity issue and yet these ships are they have spaceships these spaceships are super powerful right because their their weapons yeah. are strong enough to like batter the voyager um it, it was just it's kind of like things didn't quite fit and towards the end it's kind of this rush and it's, you're like wait what so it felt just a little sloppy um, and coming off deep space nine pilot. Right. It just, to me, it just felt like, Ooh, this is kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're, if you are interested in doing a star Trek watch or rewatch, I would not recommend watching the deep space nine pilot and Voyager pilot back to back. No. Oh God, don't do it. <laughs> so that leads us to Trek, marry or kill Kristen. Are you Trek marrying or killing star Trek Voyager caretaker? Uh, you know, I wrestled with this one. Because I thought maybe I'm just like being too harsh on it because of the circumstances of me watching it. But nah, fuck this episode. Kill it. You're killing it. Oh, you're killing it. (laughs) I'm trekking it because I think that there's. Is it a light trek or is it a. Yes. It's like a. Yeah, it's like like the trek shrinking into. Out of obligation, perhaps? It's fine. It's, and I, I've watched it on my own, not just for the show before you haven't, but <laughs> I've watched it on my own. It's it. And it's one of my 20. It's one of the 20 episodes I think are good episodes of Voyager. Woof. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So that means we kind of have um, a tie where we didn't land on the situation. Mm-hmm. And this would be a great opportunity for listeners 
to give us some feedback. I don't know how they're going to do that on social media because Twitter is dying and we're not on Facebook, but we are kind of still on Twitter and we are going to be on, we are on Instagram. When this goes up, we'll be on Instagram. So Trek uh-huh. Mary K pod on Twitter or Instagram, give us your feedback. Maybe I'll put up a poll. I don't know how to do anything on Instagram, so I'll figure that out. Yeah. You can, but, you can ask questions and stories. You kind of pulled me towards the kill side, but since I actually like the opening title sequence, you're going to trek it, but you're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're just going to close your eyes the whole time. <laughs> so, or at least that first hour. Look at I the think clock a few times. Yeah, exactly. In the meantime, thanks for listening. If you're, if you're liking and enjoying the show, Trek, Mary kill the podcast, consider rating us five stars on Apple podcasts. And Spotify. I did it. Yeah, at least tried two of those are from me. <laughs> I tried, but then it it remembered that I actually set up the account, so it wouldn't let me. So, oh, <laughs> uh, and then if you have time, leave a review. Um, we're also on. I Twitter didn't have Instagram. a time for that. So. No, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, I'm not just talking to you, but I appreciate it, Kristen. I mean, this is this is our. No, show. I know. I'm just I'm just telling everyone I didn't write a review of the podcast I'm on. <laughs> so all the reviews are genuine, as far as I know. Yes. And uh, and we look forward to receiving any listeners as well. So we're also on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Trek Mary K pod. As I said, we'll be back next week with an all new episode. Until then, TMK out. Bye. Welcome to the first night of the first network for the next century. UPN. <laughs>